Praise the Lord, Luke, thank you very much. Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight this morning. Let's go back to our study in this book. For those of you who are guests, this is our heart's longing as often as we can to journey through one book of the scriptures at a time in our services. And uh, from time to time, we'll venture from that and study topically uh, or textually, but we like to do Bible exposition through the scriptures. And we've been journeying through the book of Romans. All these sermons are available by audio or video on our website. You can go back and from the beginning and listen to all if you, if you desire. Um, tonight, I want you all to come back. I believe, uh, where's Pastor Mavar? You're speaking tonight, correct? Update, review of the ministry. So please come on back tonight and hear him. And what I mentioned before would be happening after the service tonight is not happening till next week. So uh, we'll get that update a week from tonight. But come back and hear Pastor Mavar this evening. Um, a lot of you don't know Denise Mayernick, but I'm going to embarrass her real quick. She actually was in Houston during the hurricane, and she made it back safely. I just want to say you're an answer to prayer. And, uh, she had to endure with her family an actual wedding during the hurricane. Uh, pardon? A wedding, a wedding shower during the hurricane. But you made it back, and we're glad you're here. Via Dallas. <laughs> well, yeah, it's good to see you again. And, um, glad you're back to worship with us. Romans chapter 8, we discussed the overall breakdown of this book in weeks previous. We trust you go back and study that if you're unfamiliar with it. Last week, we began studying verses 14 to 17, which is really the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit and our adoption process into the family of God. And we talked about two different things of three in relationship to spirit adoption. How are we made a child of God? The Holy Spirit's part in that. Well, we talked about our reality in the Spirit uh, in verse 14, our reality in the Spirit. We discussed our resolve in the Spirit in verses 15 and 16. Our resolve in the Spirit, verses 15 and 16, and I trust that was an encouragement to your hearts. And this morning, we would like to conclude with our resources in the Spirit. Our reality, our resolve, and now our resources. We are going to take these resources and divide these resources up into three different aspects of these resources. Are you ready? All right, if you like to take notes. First of all, we're going to talk about the certainty of these resources. The certainty of these resources. Secondly, and although this might sound odd, we're going to discuss the source of these resources. The certainty and then the source of these resources, and finally this morning, the sharing. The sharing of these resources. Certainty, source, and sharing of these resources that we have as a result of being adopted into the family of God. Let's read verse 17 this morning, and all of this truth is primarily going to em emerge from uh, this one verse. It says here, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be also glorified with him. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. 
Let's discuss these resources together. You know, in many cultures throughout time, an inheritance given to an heir was strictly material. Some here have even been the beneficiary of such material inheritances. One author tells the story of a man named Cecil Rhodes. He was an Englishman who, because of health issues, had to live out the remainder of his days in South Africa, a little bit more warm, warm environment. Um, he amassed great wealth in South Africa in the diamond mining industry. And upon his death at 49, he did not leave most of his wealth to his immediate family, but established and endowed what has been called the Rhodes Scholarship, and even in existence to today. Some of you may even know a Rhodes Scholar. That's what the world knows an inheritance is, primarily one of material value. What did my parents, what did my grandparents, what did my great rich uncle that we wish we all had leave me? Um, material in nature. But I'm always amazed to hear the children of Christian parents or grandparents speak at their parents or grandparents' funerals. I can't remember one time listening to a devout and spiritual grandchild or child eulogize a Christian parent or grandparent by saying, I'm so glad dad left me his car. I've never heard them say, boy, I'm sure glad mom left me the house as compared to my brother or sister. I deserve the house, they didn't. Christian progeny, what do we hear at those funerals? Well. I'm thankful to my mom because I also found her many times studying her Bible and praying for me in private. I remember dad walking me through the scriptures, helping me to make wise decisions. I remember the most important day of my life when my mom led me to the Lord when I was a small child. I've had the rich heritage of being part of a strong Bible-believing church because of my parents or my grandparents. My children now know Jesus Christ because of what I've been taught. On a rare occasion, my grandchildren know Christ as Savior because their great-grandfather or mother loved and shared Christ with us all. As Christians, we understand we are taught from day one that our new life in Christ is not intended or given to us to lay up treasures for ourselves on earth. As a matter of fact, we're told in the Bible to not lay up treasures for ourselves on earth where moth and rust corrupts, but to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupts. We are taught in Colossians 3 to set our affections on things above where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. We're taught in Luke 16 to take unrighteous mammon, the money, the resources that God gives us, and use those even for eternal purposes. Use money to make friends for eternity. The parable and the conclusion of the unjust steward has taught us. Many of us have been instructed for years and years that the only thing that we can take to heaven with us are souls. And the time that we have in this earthly pilgrimage is to be invested wisely for eternal matters and not merely for living for the here and now. 
The prosperity gospel in our culture teaches the opposite of that, doesn't it? It falsely teaches that your best life is now. And abundant living is bound up with things that you get, material advantage you enjoy because you're making some wise decisions on this earth. Certainly, if you live wisely, you will be blessed of God materially. And that's a false gospel. That message is certainly opposite of what the Bible teaches. Our resources, regardless what we have, are spiritual resources. Our advantage is not material, but divine and eternal. Our message is the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ that are the power of God and the transformation of the soul and salvation in Jesus Christ. So as we study the resources of our spirit adoption, let's keep some of these things in mind. I would like to study with you these three realities that I mentioned already in relationship to our resources as we have enjoyed spirit adoption. Okay? Let's discuss, first of all, the certainty of these resources that have been granted to us because we have enjoyed spirit adoption. The certainty. Now let's go back here to verse 17, and let's see here in the first phrase, grammatically, the certainty. It says here, and if children, heirs also. In the grammar of the New Testament, it, should be, it would be better written like this, and because we are children, we are heirs also, or since we are children, we are heirs also. Let's discuss real simply here, broadly, what our spiritual resources are and the certainty of them as children. Some of you that have been around the Bible for a long time are already thinking about some of these in your head, and they're true, but the primary, these are secondary resources that we enjoy from spirit of adoption, not primary resources in the here and now. But nonetheless, uh, we are certainly granted these things. First of all, John 14, one to three. Let not your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house are many. We're not enjoying those right now, are we? We're enjoying the hope of those things. But this is certainly certain. We are heirs. Because we are heirs, because we are children, since we are, we do have a home in heaven. Remember Revelation? There's a banquet that's gonna happen someday. Right? And it's gonna be a banquet with our Messiah, Jesus Christ, as the master of ceremonies. And we're all looking forward to that banquet in that day. I think of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. The Bible says that we're going to reign. We have a rulership underneath a ruler. King Jesus, and we will reign with him on this earth for what the Bible calls the millennial kingdom, and that's going to last a thousand years. We have a home. We have a banquet. We have a reign. And 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says that we have a likeness to look forward to. Right? Let this hope be in you, right? and as this hope is in you, it's going to purify you even as he is pure, and we shall be like him when we see him as he is. Right? These are all certain resources that we have because of spirit adoption. And since we are children and heirs also, 
These are our realities, but they're future realities. They're future realities. The rest of our time this morning, we're going to be discussing not just certain realities that are ours or resources that are gonna be given to us in the future, but what do we own now? What do we own now? So let's talk about the source of these resources. It says here something very interesting, and believe it or not, there's going to be so much data given about these last couple lines of verse 17. I hope we're able to grasp it, because I, to me it's been a great blessing to my heart as I've studied it, and I hope it'll be the same uh, to you. Uh, the language here is very simple. We're heirs of God. We're heirs of God. Do you remember, cross-reference in the margin of your Bible, Psalm 73, verses, verse 26. Remember Asaph's song when he said, who am I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and he is my portion forever. Asaph, even in the Old Testament, certainly understood eternal realities. So let's examine Paul's words here in some detail so our hearts, my hearts might be comforted as well. God is the source of our resources. The grammar here tells us that truly God is our resource. He is our portion forever. So I'm gonna give you a little grammar lesson without giving you any grammar. <laughs> are you ready? All right. There are different ways to read uh, genitives in the New Testament. Right. Objective and subjective genitives. And really the way that this particular uh, phrase reads, uh, it's both. The grammar of the New Testament can read like this in verse 17, and because we are children and heirs, we are heirs of God and God is an heir of us. We own God. God is our resource and he owns us. We are his. God is the source of these resources. All that he is, is ours. And all that we are, is now in Christ, his. So therefore, we have infinite spiritual resource availed to us. There's a French writer in the Middle Ages named Francois Rabelais. He was also a Franciscan friar, and this is the way his will read upon his, was read upon his death. I owe much, I possess nothing, and I give the rest to the poor. I was thinking along those lines, and one author said, this is the Christian's reality. God owes nothing, he possesses everything, and he gives it all to his children. He gives it all to his children. God owes nothing, he possesses everything, and he gives every bit of it to his children. We are heirs of God. God in Christ has been bequeathed to us. Now, for many of us to sit down at a table and have our parents' will read to us, and to say your parents left you nothing but an understanding of God. Most in our culture would fall off their chairs and say what? You've got to be kidding me. 
But that's really what Paul's saying. Because you have to understand the majority of New Testament believers were impoverished people. Certainly James 4, 1 Timothy 6, James chapter 2, there's only a handful of texts, less than five, that address the rich in the New Testament. If you understand first century history, the Christians were poor, and because of their faith, they only became more impoverished. That's all they knew. Our culture in this dispensation in this time within this dispensation, none of us are living the impoverishment that most New Testament believers experienced in that time. So when the Roman believers are hearing Paul teach this aspect of spirit adoption, you have been made a child of God because you've trusted Christ and your inheritance is God. Wow, really? That's amazing. Many of you sing this reality regularly. Loved with everlasting love, led by grace that love to know, spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace, oh, this transport all divine, in a love which cannot cease, you finish it with me. I am his and he is mine. We're heirs of God. We're heirs of God. Just as God the Father is pleased with his Son, he is equally and forever pleased with you. So therefore, we reciprocate pleasure to him. I'm reminded of 1 Peter 1 and verse 8, I believe. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet who believe. It says here, we are fellow heirs with Christ. Well, what in the world can that mean? Isn't heirs of God enough? Isn't God enough? Well, certainly, but the Apostle Paul doesn't want to stop there. He keeps lathering us, lavishing us with these spiritual resources because of spirit adoption. Certainly, everything that is ours is Christ's first. It says here, we're fellow heirs with Christ. We have been made the fullness of God in Christ. But God has enjoyed something for all of eternity with his son that we now will enjoy for all of eternity. Are you ready? Go with me to John 17. Hold your fingers in Romans 8. We understand the certainty of being heirs of God and what that means now. What does it mean to be a fellow heir with Christ? What did Christ have that we did not have that now we're in him, we have with him? It's wonderful. The Lord Jesus Christ cites it here. In his high priestly prayer, he says in verse verse one, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now father Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. There are two things stated here in the first section of our Lord's high priestly prayer that are now ours 
because they have always been Christ's. Eternal life and eternal glory. Eternal life and eternal glory. This is our certainty. This is our present reality. One author said, certainly we enjoy the presence of God. Certainly we have the opportunity to participate in God's glorious plans. And we have the opportunity to enjoy God's glory himself. God is ours. We are co-heirs with Christ. We enjoy his life. We enjoy this glorious nature and now glorious opportunity to demonstrate Christ in the here and now to those who need him. Just write in the cross-reference of your Bible here, I believe because this is spirit adoption, I believe it's a good cross-reference to add here, 2 Corinthians 5, 5. We're heirs of God, right? We have him, he has us. We're co-heirs with Christ. He's given us eternal life and his glory, right? His glory. But in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, we're told that we're given at spirit adoption the earnest of the spirit. The earnest of the spirit. We have to understand this as we head into our closing this morning, into our final section. Right. The earnest of the spirit in 2 Corinthians 5.5 5 is just simply a down payment of the spirit. All that simply means is God has given us, not just himself, not just the eternal life and the glory that comes along with the relationship with Jesus Christ, but he's given us all right, the Holy Spirit as well. And the Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead that maintenances for us and secures for us through sealing, through the baptism of the Spirit, and through adoption, he, he seals the deal for us regarding us being in God's will. There's absolutely no way someone can take away the certainty of these resources for us both now and forever because omnipotence has secured them for us through the earnest of the Spirit of God. None of us will stand before the Lord someday at judgment day and be disappointed. No one's gonna be bummed out when God reads his will to us because we all have the same resources. We all have the same resources. And the Godhead has spoken to the certainty. Each person of the Godhead has spoken to the certainty of such. Well, let's move on to our final section here, the sharing of these resources. Now, the sharing is really twofold. And this is the part that I just want to say is a glorious part. I think oftentimes the next couple phrases are taught as somewhat of a Debbie Downer. It's kind of taught kind of like a woe is me. Oh, so this is what it's all about. And sometimes Christians even kind of get a little bit of a martyr's complex. I just kind of endure affliction and can't wait for heaven. That's not how it's shared here in this text. Right? Um, there's sharing of resources. Obviously, we're going to share our resources of our reality of who we know God to be in Jesus Christ. We're going to share them with others. 
we're going to share the gospel with others. But as we share the gospel, there's something else that we need to share. And by the way, since we're co-heirs with Christ, we're sharing them with him and he's sharing them with us. Let's look at the last phrase here of verse 17. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Now, chapter 8 and verse 17 is really the conclusion of that one paragraph but it's kind of restated at the beginning of the next major section of the book of Romans in verse 18, which we'll deal with next time we're together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So on your own time, go back and, and underline the word suffering and glory and glorified here. We've, we've learned a lot of spiritual resources that are ours in Christ, that are yet to come, we talked about enjoying the presence of God and the plans of God on this earth now. But there's something here that will be primarily the reality for believers in any age, in any time of the church age. And that's suffering. And that's suffering. We're typically not used to hearing this word when we're getting ready to talk about the reception of an inheritance but this is our inheritance. And though it's a polar idea to us, when we sit down at the table and we're told, God's yours, Christ is yours, you've been given a down payment of the spirit, everything spiritual and heavenly places are now yours in Jesus Christ. Right? But here's what's left for you now. Right? And remember what James 1 says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Remember what Philippians 1.29 says, we have been graced with the opportunity to suffer for Christ. Now here is your joyful opportunity. Y'all, the rest of your time here, until you hear that trumpet sound, you get to suffer for Jesus. And you get to share in his sufferings. Really? Wow. Wow, are you kidding me? That's wonderful. That's amazing. What do you mean? No, that's amazing. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why for us. That's amazing. Because every time you suffer for Christ's sake, what's that telling you? I'm a child. Wow. That's one really clear and tangible way that I get to know I'm part of the family. Are you kidding me? Wow, 70 years on this earth, life's a vapor, it appears for a little while and passes away, right? Only seven years, but forever? So while I'm here in these seven years, I suffer, and that way I get, now it makes sense. Is that what the will reads? Yeah, I'm cool with that. Great, praise the Lord. It's proof of spiritual DNA. It's proof that you're in the will. It's proof that you're in the family tree. And it's proof of great opportunity in front of us. It's, it's, it's the opportunity to be identified among each other is a child of God, but it's also proved to be identified outside the body of Christ for evangelistic purposes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Pastor Tim, that's not really how I've seen that before. Well, we have to understand that the Roman church was not the most persecuted church in the New Testament. 
Thessalonica, Philippi, the churches of the diaspora that the Peter's epistles, first and second Peter went to, those people knew affliction. The Roman church, not so much. They knew it a little bit, but not much. So the point is, it's not really, oh, the really afflicted people, right? Those guys, you Christians who get their heads chopped off and martyred, that's really suffering, no. Paul's writing to people that are suffering to a much less degree, but still suffering. This is the kind of suffering of the Paul's uh, talking about. You got a Christian high school kid that goes to a public school and it's prom time or it's homecoming time and a girl gets asked out by a guy. Right? Well, I'm not really interested. I know there's a lot of things in homecoming and prom that aren't that bad, but I'm not really interested in being attached to the whole culture of all that goes on, especially that after prom and that after homecoming stuff. I, I just really, I'm not going to get involved in the the sex, drugs, and rock and roll of the whole thing, and I appreciate that, but I don't, think, I don't think my Jesus would want me to be a part of that. Does that kid get persecuted? That would have been kind of like a Roman teenager. You're not gonna lose your head, but do kids get roughed up at school because of that stuff? Yeah. Does it stop when they go to college? No. Kids don't even have to open their mouths in public education. Kids that are truly saints, by what they do and what they don't do, and the presence of God in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit that they carry with them, people just know long before they say anything. Talk to most Christian kids walking with God, they spend most of their days in public education alone. Not because they want to be alone, but if you're not going to run with the Joneses and do what the Joneses do, see you later. Cross-reference here in the margin of your Bible, 1 Peter 4, verses 1 to 7, 1 to 6. 1 Peter 4, 1 to 6. When you come to know Christ, there's certain alterations made to your lifestyle. And because you're in Christ, you're going to live Christ, and you can't help yourself but do so. And that is antithetical to the way you used to run and who you used to run with. The churches of the diaspora from 1 Peter chapter 4, these are people that experienced intense persecution because of the change of lifestyle that they had. Read the context there. They used to party and they don't party anymore. They used to be drinkers, they don't drink anymore. They used to sleep around and they don't sleep around anymore. They used to cuss and they don't cuss anymore. Well, who in the world or what in the world could bring that kind of change? Only Jesus can change a heart like that. That's it. He's the, he's the only omnipotent ability in the universe to change a heart like that. When someone owns Jesus, they just change. But that's how you know you're part of Jesus is to change. That's how you know you're adopted, because the affliction you might receive because of the change. And that doesn't make you this kind of Christian, oh man, i to be alone again this Friday night in my dorm. Ugh, right? Man, didn't get invited to that again. Mmm. I don't have any friends, it's mmm. Right? What's up with this stuff? Right. A couple, couple neighbor boys down the street ran into one of them a couple months ago. We grew up next to each other. 
And uh, they, used to, they used to mock us all the time because we were church boys, right? They used to yell across the yards, you choir boys! Right? Why don't you come on over here, choir boys, and we'll show you what being a guy's really like. Choir boys! Man, whatever. That's nothing. Right? I was always surprised why they did that because they were really tiny dudes and I was really big. And I thought, man, you, you just got the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Right? He's like, right? That's what I wanted to do. I just pound them one. Right? All different kinds of degrees of affliction, right? All different kinds. You have suffered affliction of your own DNA, haven't you? I'm not even, we could spend days talking about that. But the point is, Paul's not talking about that, what he's talking about. This is one wonderful way you get to be identified as a child. In other words, if you're not suffering because of Christ, you're not a child. If you're really wondering, am I born again or am I not? If you're really wondering, this is one clear way to identify if you are. Well, I say I'm a Christian, I trusted Christ, but I haven't experienced any, any degree of suffering at all in my life, then you probably need to be born again. And that's okay. Well, I don't want to be born again into that lifestyle. No. What's the disposition of the sufferer? It's not, oh man, it's kind of like, I'm a child. I can't believe it. Praise God. And then you get to go back out to the afflictors with a smile on your face and engage them for Jesus' sake. Instead of hating them, you have a heart of mercy for them. See the difference? Because that's what a confident child does. He doesn't hate, he has mercy on those who need Christ. He or she understands that they're doing what they're doing because they can't help themselves but do that. That's all they know. They can't change their spiritual DNA, only God can. I have mercy on them. You're not going to write them a thank you note. Thank you for inflicting suffering on me. You prove to me that I'm a child of God. No, that's not what it's, right? That'd be silly. This reality is for you to understand in your own heart. I know I'm a child because I suffer. Oh, praise God. Now, joy. Count it all joy. Consider it joy when you fall into those. And like I said, Philippians 1.29 You've, it's been granted to you to suffer for Christ's sake. The root word for the word granted there in Philippians 1.29 is the Greek word charis, which is grace. You've been graced to suffer. And part of that grace is assurance that you know that you're a child of God. How in the world do we find the martyrs of the Reformation singing hymns while being burned at the stake? Where do we find that kind of joy? As they're singing hymns, what are they singing of? I'm a child of the king. I am his and he's mine. This is proof that I'm a child. It's proof that I'm a child. It's proof that I'm in the will. And enjoy all these spiritual things. Abraham was a pretty wealthy guy. But because his faith, he left it all, didn't he? He went out not knowing where he was going to go. Abel, he really enjoyed the prosperity gospel, didn't he? Slaughtered by his brother. 
Enoch, here's a guy in the Old Testament that preached for 300 years never to receive a reward. Noah, all he had was obliterated in this thing we call the flood. Joseph, sold into slavery. Moses, you're not going to the promised land. But who's listed in Hebrews 11? Their eyes were set upon a different country. They lived for a different reality. This world was not their home. They knew they were just pilgrims. Consider the New Testament, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, beheaded. Mary and Joseph, right, pushed to Egypt in persecution. We know that Lord Jesus Christ didn't endure any suffering at all in his lifetime, right? The disciples of Christ in the first century, Peter, crucified upside down. The apostle John, depending on what you understand about history, dipped in boiling oil and tar and met his death. The apostle Paul, killed at the hands of Nero. The saints of Thessalonica, Philippi, the saints of Jerusalem, driven out by the persecution of Saul, forever labeled as the diaspora in human history, known to this day. The scripture has one very certain way that we can identify ourselves as children, that we share in the inheritance, and that's when we suffer in varying degrees. Cross-reference in the margin of your Bible, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, and 1 Corinthians 5, 1, 5 to 7. I'm gonna read for you 2 Corinthians 1, 5 to 7 as a transition into the next time we're, get, we're together. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 5 to 7, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But as if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers, remember our point, the sharing of our resources, as you are sharers in our suffering, so also you are sharers in our comfort. Suffering is not something we can ever avoid as a believer. It's not something we should ever be angry about. And it's not anything that we should ever handle with indifference. Something not, that we shouldn't be looking over either. If you have God's DNA and you are in Christ, it will come in varying degrees. So rather than using it to assure your hearts you are part of the family of God, let's use suffering to do this. Consider ourselves privileged. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Let's let it purify us. Hebrews chapter two and verse 10 is the example of Christ set out. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. And let's use it to prepare ourselves. 
as Timothy, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.3, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Consider it a privilege, allow it to purify us, and allow it to prepare us. And please, folks, please, folks, keep a smile on your face. Keep a smile on your face. And every time you're afflicted, regardless of the degree, let it tell you, I'm a child of the king. And the next thought in your mind should be this. I can't wait for Jesus to use me to share that truth with somebody else so that they can know the same joy I know. Right? Suffering now, glory later. Suffering now, glory later. And we'll discuss that next time we're together. All right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we hear the testimony of this one sweet saint, may our hearts be encouraged of your omnipotent ability to transform hearts of any age that understand the gospel. And may we leave this place truly encouraged as your children because we can remember what's happened in our lives because of your presence within us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.